0: Yeah, I've basically sacrificed my perfect life for uh, children, Justin. (laughs) Okay, that explains it.
1: Hello, I'm Mark. I'm Justin. We're the J-Pops, and we are Attempting Parenting in Japan. Welcome. Uh, Welcome to episode four. Nice. Four done. Four in the bag. Let's uh, let's talk about what's coming up today. First of all, we've got uh, a guest. This is our second guest, and it's our first ever true J-pop. Even more of a J-pop than you and me, because we are expectant parents right. in Japan. Uh, we got a guy who actually has kids, actually lives in Japan, and is kind of the he's the ghost of Christmas future for us. He's what we're going to be um, living uh, soon, and uh, that is Casey, our good friend Casey Bean. Um, You might also know him from his various other podcasts like Ishikawa Summit to See and the Bean Pod. So he's out there on the podcast scene and um, he's an Ishikawa resident and he will be walking us through what to expect in the next few months, in the next few years, the next decade or so of child rearing. So we got Casey coming up on the agenda. Yeah, but first we should uh, go over some updates maybe and uh, talk
2: about some other issues we've had recently.
1: Yes, indeed. uh, where is your wife, Moe, in the pregnancy? She's at twenty weeks and three
2: days now um she's definitely showing more uh when she when she goes to work in the morning and tries to put on the coat. It's definitely getting tighter, and uh, yeah, the baby is moving around a lot these days, like she's definitely getting kicked more than she was expecting.
1: Yeah. My wife uh, is at 27 weeks. And so of course she's been noticing the active baby for a while now. Um, My wife said something that, that she heard that I thought was interesting. And that's that, um, and I assume this is real. I think this is like, this is legit, but as the mother's like sort of active and moving around, that creates a kind of nice gentle rocking sensation for the baby who's in yeah. sort of this like jacuzzi atmosphere, you know, like all warm and then the motion and then it's like rocking the child. And then when the mother lays down and things are still, that is when the baby becomes restless. So uh, my wife has noticed that when she tries to go to sleep, the baby really starts to fire up and go wild.
2: And I think that's just getting us prepared for life when they come out. <laughs> yeah. that's From what I hear, that's what's going to happen
1: on a on a nightly basis. Yeah. That's a really good primer, I guess. The wisdom of the baby. So yeah, my wife is there again, like seven weeks ahead of your wife on the, on the pregnancy schedule. And so, um, she has been dipping into the maternity clothes a lot more these days and, um, it's pretty cool. So is my wife. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, um, how your wife goes about her clothes shopping, but my wife, uh, for a few years now, she's, been a member of this or that service where you sort of, uh, every month or I don't know the timeline, but you choose the clothes that you want and they send them to your house and then you send the other clothes back. That sort of a service. That's like subscription clothes service. I've heard about that. Isn't that mostly business clothes? I guess she gets kind of nicer stuff to wear to work, but um just anything that looks interesting to her she'll um, she'll get it oh. delivered. So we've got okay. constant clothes deliveries coming and going to the house. And um when maternity time kicked in, that really proved its value because it's obviously clothes that you need in the short term and uh she just, you know, switched over to their maternity section and clicked all the boxes and now she's got maternity jeans and all sorts of uh accessories and so on that's
2: super convenient we started going to the baby maternity sections in all the stores recently and getting pants and shirts and underwear for for all
1: that stuff but i think that service sounds much more convenient yeah i think um you know if you're like me you'll buy an item of clothing and then you'll be wearing that 20 years from the yeah. purchase date, you know? Yeah. So I tend to take the long view with all of my clothing purchases. But compared to that, the service is obviously going to be more expensive. But then when uh, something comes along like uh, maternity wear, uh, it's really like paying for itself. I think the cost of the service would be less than buying all the stuff. So I recommend that for sure. Hmm, I wonder if you can just do it on the short term then. Maybe I'll look yeah. into that. I bet you could pop in there. Absolutely. Um, have you yourself felt the the baby kick yet
2: yeah yeah it's kind of our our nightly routine we'll have dinner we'll sit down watch a movie or something and then moe will lay down and i'll just kind of put my hand on her belly while we're watching something and just wait (laughs) (laughs) yeah so (laughs) so i felt i felt quite a few kicks over the past uh i'd say maybe like week or two now that we've been doing, yeah,
1: that. yeah. I think right around your time, or even a bit before, I felt the first kick, and yeah, we we're lying in bed. I think in the morning when we just woken up, and she said the baby was active, uh, and it was really early on. I think prior to twenty weeks, so the kick felt felt from the outside was like i don't know did my hand just spasm or what happened yeah then i (laughs) i noticed like the you know it happened again and again and i was like oh wow that's the real deal so uh yeah everything's trucking along like normal uh no new appointments no new updates i guess no still a couple weeks for ours yeah us too we're at weeks 20 and 27 um something that uh always kind of blows me away is thinking about the the time. And I don't know if you've felt that the pregnancy has gone by quickly or gone by slowly. I feel like it's gone by very slowly. Yeah, I'm in the slow boat as well. Maybe
2: because I'm eager. I'm more eager.
1: That makes sense. I'm sure that when we look back on it years from now, it'll seem like it happened in the blink of an eye. But as for right now living through it, it seems like the change is kind of imperceptible. And we're just kind of like going at a snail's pace. Through the pregnancy. And uh, it's been surprisingly slow. I thought it would just go by in a flash. But I think there's, I don't know, there's a lot of things to do and a lot of things to kind of worry about. And um, I'm trying to organize all that stuff. And then that makes me feel like pretty laden with things to do. And that makes time slow down. I think Mm. for me, when I've got uh, a long list that I'm kind of worried about, I'm like, oh, "Oh, I got to get through this. I'm like the opposite. It makes time speed up. I'm just like, oh, crap, it's already Tuesday. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I don't know what it is, but I'm, like, crawling through time right now. Well, that's good. You'll you'll get through your list then. Yeah, yeah. It's more time for me. Wonderful. <laughs> um, so here's another thing that I wanted to talk about time-wise, which this is mind-blowing to me, but uh, we're going to talk about a classic television show that took place in the future, and that show is The Jetsons. I don't know if you ever watched The Jetsons. Wow, I wonder how many... Listeners will know this or have actually seen it.
2: I'm sure everybody's heard of it at some point.
1: Yeah. It's uh kind of the companion piece to the Flintstones. The Flintstones yeah. was the prehistoric family, the Jetsons was the futuristic family. Yeah. But something very uh significant happened recently with the Jetsons. Uh first of all, the Jetsons came out in nineteen sixty-two. That was the first season of the Jetsons was sixty-two. Okay. So then, like, obviously, you're making a TV show in 1962, and you're thinking, "Oh, we need to we need to give this show a futuristic setting." And so, let's go 100 years in the future, which is 2062, right? Boy, they got so, that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they really missed the boat on 2062. Probably, there's probably. still a, a fair amount of time to go, but they've kind of missed it. So, uh, the other thing is George Jetson, who's like the the dad you know he's the patriarch of the family there in the jetsons in the 2062 tv show he's 40 years old so that means that george jetson was born in 2022
2: oh same as our
1: soon-to-be kids yeah our children will be born in the same year that george jetson was meant to be born and if you want to go one layer deeper on this thing george jetson's birthday was august 27th 2022 according to the lore of the jetsons wow which which means that george jetson would have been conceived nine months before that which makes the conception of george jetson (laughs) the thanksgiving weekend 2021 Which is something that we all just lived through very recently. Uh, That's when George Jetson's parents got busy. He was conceived and then born in 2022.
2: I hope hope you're not the only one who's put this together. And maybe somebody else who will be having a kid in August
1: next year thinks, oh, I got to name him George. George yeah if your last name is Jetson then by all means you have to you have to fulfill the prophecy and close the loop
2: it's not a cartoon Uh, show it was a prophecy it was a
1: prophecy and that's how it would be regarded going forward but um, that really blew my mind that um, you know it's the same with Back to the Future I think the Back to the Future future was 2015 yeah if memory serves and like all the articles came out this is what they got right this is what they got wrong Uh, but now for that hoverboard still waiting for the hoverboard you know, for me, that was the main thing. It was the hovering technology in 2015 that was really absent, and that's what yeah. made the difference. Do you remember there was a scene uh, where, like, a dog was being walked by like a hovering disc with a leash connected to the hovering disc, yeah, just walking the dog that. down the road. Like, stuff just doesn't hover. That's what we're really missing. I mean, we have drones now, but they kind yeah. of don't let them do anything. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> heavily regulated drones is as close we get. Yeah. But um, I think even more futuristic, though, is the Jetsons. Like, everybody lived in the Space Needle, basically. It was Orbit City. Everybody was flying spaceships everywhere. It was much more, you know, like the household cleaning robot Rosie. That's that true. sort of stuff. In, Way some, more futuristic. in some senses, they, they may
2: have gotten it right about the future. Because you never see the ground. You never mm-hmm. see, like, ocean stuff.
1: Like, maybe that's all. Maybe we just messed it up and everybody just went up. Yeah, maybe. Maybe all of the, uh, like, there will be a moon colony, all this stuff by twenty. 2062 maybe it'll come true but um, or yeah we've ruined the environment so we just have to live in the stratosphere maybe that's how it'll work and we'll all live in little space needles perfect but i highly doubt it (laughs) but uh, just blew me away that our kids are going to be born in the same year that george jetson was born like the all-time sort of futuristic cartoon uh well you know excluding futurama naturally oh of course uh, yeah yeah and that's a thousand years like that's that's so far away. You but, you uh, grew up watching the Jetsons, right? I mean, I was aware of the Jetsons. Of course, it was on the air 20 years before I was born. But um, I think it I was never on like
2: Nickelodeon for you or anything.
1: I would have caught the stray episode here and there. I saw the oh, Flintstones okay. a lot more often for sure. And oh, I think yeah. they rebooted the Jetsons in the 80s as well. And there were like made for TV movies and stuff that came out through the 80s and maybe even into the 90s so i was aware of the jetsons but not like a loyal follower yeah i w- i definitely watched when i was a kid and i caught oh, yeah. a lot of it cool well i'm kind of unfamiliar but um that is our uh that is our claim to the future another thing about the future of these kids and this is not like sci-fi at all but the kids will be born in 2022 meaning that when the year 2100 rolls around they'll be in their late 70s and uh i think Uh, for, you know, Japanese life expectancy right now is already late seventies. So you can say, say
2: even eighties. Yeah. uh, It's probably the average.
1: Yeah. It's different for men and women, of course. And then the women I think are like solidly well into their eighties. Men are lagging a bit behind, but all the odds indicate that, uh, our kids born in 2022 will live to see 2100 which Mm. really is mind-blowing to me because that seems like some real distant future.
2: Yeah, it's pretty crazy to think about that. It's
1: also crazy to think about
2: uh, that, like, Moe's grandma is, I think she's like 93 right now, Mm -hmm. is to think about that. We're going to have a kid, then there's going to be four generations
1: of them alive at the same time. It's certainly uh, rarer, and Japan has, um, you know, like the this aging population, a very high percentage of the population is, uh, like past retirement age. I remember years ago seeing that, um, Okinawa had the highest percentage of, um, hundred year olds of any, you know, similarly sized area on earth or any city on earth. Um, Okinawa had the, yeah, the highest percentage of people over a hundred Japanese people traditionally live a very, very long time. And, um, yeah, so you'll wind up with the, uh, for maybe even getting up into the five generation families from time to time. It's a much more common occurrence for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But, um, yeah, so it's, uh, I remember, I don't know if you have anything similar to this from your own life, but when I was a kid, when I was five years old, I got t-shirts. Um, I went to school, you know, for the first time, went to kindergarten and as a five year old, they gave everyone in the class a t shirt that said class of 2001. And it I was never like got a, that. Oh, yeah. It was a, a blue t shirt. I remember there were a couple of people looking at a computer screen, like a, you know, <laughs> 80s computer screen. And then on the computer screen on the t shirt, it said class of 2001, which I was. And uh, I remember taking that t shirt home and then my mom seeing it and her like similar to how we are right now, thinking about 2100 and our kids living to that age. My mom was like, that can't be right, can it? Is it really? And then she kind of added it up and she was like, yeah, you'll graduate in 2001. And 2001 was the far distant future and blew all of our minds. This was you know, right. back in 88. But um, yeah, it, it's still, um, I guess that never stops. That feeling never really leaves any generation.
2: I wonder when our kids are maybe like, Teen level, and we tell them about like the 90s, Mm -hmm. they're gonna think that we're like cavemen,
1: yeah, for sure. (laughs) Do you? I have some predictions about what we will say that blows the kids' minds that we did. Um, number one, I think it'll be the very simple statement, We used to drive cars. I think, oh, you think it's gonna go that far? Yeah, I think the idea of we used to drive cars will be absolutely mind blowing. I think you are getting uh, into Jetson territory. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think that driverless cars will come out. They'll just keep gaining ground. They'll be very useful for like Uber services and taxi services. And then uh, they'll be proven to be quite safe. And then governments will say, oh, you know what? Actually, there's a much safer model. And that is the driverless car. So we're going to start banning drivers. And uh, you'll have to, you know, make a transition at some point. In Japan, I think that would be a great idea. I also think it would be impossible to do here with We're just with the narrow,
2: narrow streets and all the how narrow and just crappily built some of them <laughs> them are in the cities. Because not to like shit on. Their construction or anything, I think it's really good. But the way they have to do it sometimes with the water piping for the winter, it mm-hmm. creates this weird unevenness that when you're driving over it, kind of pulls and jerks your car. So if you're not Uh-oh. driving, then sometimes I think the car would just veer. <laughs>
1: yeah, there might make be some some firmware updates for yeah. the winter. Um, We should say uh, in this region of the country, they build sort of a sprinkler system down the middle of a lot of roads, and then that is how they remove snow from the roads. So as soon as it starts to snow, they crank on the sprinklers and jets of water are kind of flying out of the middle of the streets, and then that washes the snow into a slush onto the sides of the roads to, to keep them relatively clear. Which is Um, great for people walking next to roads. Yeah, yeah, pedestrians (laughs) deal with
2: it. Get your boots It's more of a side umbrella than an (laughs) overhead umbrella.
1: Yeah, there may be some. I would say also just the narrowness of the streets and how you Mm. occasionally, like we live on a street, for example, that you can only go one way down the street because it's just that narrow. But there's no indication anywhere that it's a one-way street. So two-way traffic is allowed. If you meet somebody, you have to figure it out. Somebody's going to have to back up. Somebody's going to have to get in somebody's driveway and so on and so forth. And uh, I wonder if this is all being programmed into driverless cars at this point.
2: Yeah, there's probably like a... Do not enter, like map system that they have built into some of them. Like, oh no, this road is off limits. I have to go around this way. Yeah, at least I assume. So in America, it's much easier. I don't know. Do you know much about if Teslas used in that way here?
1: Ooh, no idea. I know they sell
2: Teslas. They have Tesla dealerships. They're super in Japan. popular. I've seen a lot of them, but I don't know if they're using the automated features as much.
1: Yeah, maybe highway only or something. But yeah, Could Japanese be. roads are are not made for that. I mean, the, no. the little neighborhood roads anyway. Well, um, that is our look into the future. That was just blowing my mind. So um, I thought I should address it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I guess without further ado, we've had too much ado already. We need to shift this ado to the side and we need to get to our <laughs> guest interview. We're just going to yeah. do the do. We're going to do the ado. <laughs> or we're going to not do the ado. And we're going to talk to Casey. And um, Casey will set us straight on many, many things regarding parenthood in Japan. So let's get to that. All right, here we go. Our guest today is a 17-year resident of Japan, a guy with 12 years experience as a father and a good friend of mine, Casey Bean. Hello, Casey. Hi, guys.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm uh, honored to be the first proper father to appear
2: on the podcast.
1: Yeah, you're a real J-pop. I am. Congratulations. And And at 17 years, maybe
2: an OG (laughs) J-pop.
0: Yeah, Yeah. you can call me the pod father. If you you (laughs) want to have me as as a recurring guest, you can refer to me as the pod father.
1: And we should say you're the podfather because you have curated several podcasts in your day.
0: Yes. So, well, Justin, this is the uh, the elephant in the room is that uh, you and I used to have a podcast together. And now yeah. uh, this, is, this is like in high school when you, you have a girlfriend and then you, you break up with her and you go to a, a party and she's there with her new man. That, yeah. That's how I feel right now. I'm on your, your podcast with your, your new partner.
1: Yeah, with my new partner. Now super, it's super hot <laughs> girlfriend, Mark.
0: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm here all by myself.
2: But, uh, <laughs> Lonely Casey. You've, you've got Joe, though. You're doing good with Joe. I, I suppose.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Remember, Joe will hear this, so you better talk about yeah. it. For, those, for those who don't know, um,
2: Joe and Casey have a podcast called Ishikawa Summit to See, where they have a lot
1: of banter back and forth like this so yeah yes, and i would yes. say that the only person that rivals mark in attractiveness is joe so we've both done well for ourselves that's yeah. true
0: but you know justin you left me yeah and so you know when people get uh, spurned in love they sometimes lash out and so you left <laughs> me when we had one podcast so i started two podcasts <laughs> to fi- to fill the void
1: yeah, so you've, you've got Ishikawa <laughs> yes. Summit to see, and what's your second podcast? Uh, the Bean Pod, which is my solo and one true love. Yes. Okay. Good stuff. But so yeah. check those out, everybody. Um, and as we said, we brought Casey here because he is—he's uh, the pod father. He's the OG J-pop. He's got a couple of kids, and he's been living in Japan a long time and parenting for a long time, so we thought we would pepper him with some questions and get his expert take on these things. Um, I think a lot of the questions we had actually revolved around language, and um, there are a number of things to discuss, like uh, the language you use in the household, um, if there's ever any pushback against that from the kids, if they, like, want to, you know go one direction or the other with the language that you were not envisioning so um how about that what is the the household language
0: yeah we primarily uh um well it's sort of shifting over time but uh initially it was like a hundred percent english and then uh it started once so basically like until um the kids got into elementary school it was like 100 english they basically never spoke Japanese to us, my wife who's Japanese was almost hundred percent English to the kids. Um, but once they got into elementary school, the Japanese started to sort of take over. And so now, like, I mean, we still primarily speak English in the house, but the, like my wife will speak English to the kids, but they'll reply in Japanese sometimes. Um, and they'll, they'll speak Japanese to her more, but they use both. It's very interesting to see, actually, like how and when they switch between languages. Sometimes it'll be like mid-sentence they'll, they'll switch.
2: I was curious when you were saying that uh it was primarily English before grade school. Was that a difficult transition for them? Did they pick up any Japanese prior to that that you noticed? Or was it like, here's Japanese, good luck?
0: <laughs> no, cuz they were going to daycare um every day. Okay. So they were getting they were spending the majority of their day in a Japanese speaking environment. Okay. Um so like when we'd when we'd see my wife's parents, their grandparents, uh you know, they would Pretty easily converse in Japanese with the grandparents and with their teachers at daycare, so they uh, they had a, a solid foundation. But like even now, my wife, uh, especially for my younger son, she frequently says like I'm worried about his Japanese. Um, so they might be uh, a little bit behind uh, in that. I mean, my older son is like a, a total bookworm, so he's got more. He reads English and Japanese like a lot, so he's probably got a more of a grasp than my nice. younger son, who's all about TV and video games.
1: Well, was it something that you wanted to be strict with in the beginning? Because um, it seems like in the environment of just being in Japan, they will get the Japanese exposure one way or the other. It's just absolutely bound to happen. And um, then it seems to me that you would want to really like enforce the English, because otherwise that's the one that they can't get anywhere else. So um, did you feel kind of strict about that in the beginning or what, were you always kind of like, yeah, well, it'll come and go?
0: I've, I've sort of uh, gone back and forth in terms of how strict I want to enforce English speaking. Like they never speak Japanese to me. Uh, the only thing I'm, and, and, and sometimes I'm like whatever, and other times if I'm in like a bad mood, I'll be like, would you speak English to each other or something? But I do try to like encourage them to like watch English TV and movies and stuff a lot because they do watch a lot of Japanese stuff. So I try to, like, balance that to at least get some English input. I can notice now, like, my older son is starting to sort of forget some words. Like, the other day I was talking to him and he couldn't remember the word pot, like, <laughs> that you use to cook things. And I, I think it was just, like, a brain fart on his part, but it was still like, whoa, you know, you can't remember that, like, kind of basic word. Yeah. So that makes that like gets my uh my my spidey sense up cuz i'm sort yeah. of always monitoring their uh linguistic capabilities
1: well also of i mean just by default the level of native english speaking that they'll do in the home before they get to school is going to far far outweigh any lesson that they would have in school mm. uh so then Do you do anything or did you do anything when they were young, like sort of like English, like lesson wise, like give them a little workbook or anything like that? Or have you tried to supplement kind of their English education in like slightly a more formal way?
0: We haven't so far. I still like read to them every night, even though Mm -hmm. they're getting a bit older. Um and I've done that like throughout their lives so far. That's like the only pleasure reading I do in my life these days is is reading to to them. But we've read like all the Harry Potter books and like we've moved on to um like more mature uh, Under Twilight right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like more adultish uh literature, which is nice. Um the the thing that we've and so like formally, no, we haven't complimented their the, the English that they're getting in school with any sort of formal classes or, or even like doing it at home. We have started to think about practicing and having them take the Aiken mm-hmm. test because to get in when, you, when you're applying to high schools, which is a big thing in Japan, having a high Aiken score can go a long way into getting into a better high school. Mm-hmm. So even if you're like other grades are not stellar, if you have that high English score, it can sort of make up for other deficiencies. So we have sort of, we bought a few books, um, but like my wife and I are just not super motivated about doing that. So it's kind of on the back
1: burner. Are they not just a guaranteed, I guess the top Aiken level is level one. Level one is right. They? And are they yeah. not just an automatic shoe in for level one?
0: No, not yet. Cause there hmm. are some, uh, they have to, There's a spoken component of Aiken, Mm -hmm. and the the topics of that are like quite heavy for a like a twelve year old. I think they're like they just don't think that globally yet. It might be Mm -hmm. like something about like like some problem in the world or something that you Mm -hmm. know twelve year olds and especially nine year olds don't really consider too much.
1: Yeah. Um. One other question uh, back about the schooling. Um. Have you noticed that anything that they do in the the Japanese classroom English wise is actually valuable to them or is it just all like way below where they're at? So far it's way below where they're okay. at. Yeah. So even if they have to do like a spelling drill or something, it's something like that they can already spell with no problem. And it's, it's not really N- doing them any favors. No, their spelling
0: is atrocious. So oh, okay. that's, <laughs> a, that's like in terms of like grammar and vocabulary and uh, that level, it's all like much l- below where they're at. But, uh, mm-hmm. that's the good thing. It's like the sort of the, the rote practice that's prevalent in Japanese school of just like writing the same thing over and over again. That's like the, the niche that my kids need um, Mm -hmm. to improve their, their English skill. So that's the probably the one positive of, of
2: the level so far.
1: Mark, do you want to fire off any of these questions? Yeah.
2: I was curious kind of going back to
1: maybe like pre school days, like daycare and stuff.
2: When you were, I assume that you were thinking about English a lot in those days, were you going out and buying like English specific like kids books and that kind of like English specific like toys for them?
0: Yeah, we uh, mostly books. We have a pretty huge library of English books here. And we, we used to have more, but we've sort of offloaded all of the like real like brown bear, brown bear, the, that level. Oh of yeah. We don't have those anymore, but yeah, that we had, I mean, we got so many books from people, like family members and friends would send us books. We'd buy books when we went back to the States. Um, as far as toys, toys, you mean toys that like speak and things like that?
2: Yeah. Like, I was looking at a couple of those, like, uh, I forget what they're called, but they have just like sounds and lights mm. and kids bop them and it's like, hey, this is a cow. This is what a cow does and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I think we probably had something like that.
2: Cause I know like the sounds that come out of those are typically different in the US versus here
0: yeah I mean that's like that's uh, right in the the daycare wheelhouse they'll learn yeah. all the Japanese animal sounds there and you can cover the the English versions at home. Gotcha. Um, But yeah, it's always, my focus has always been uh, like English books, English DVDs, Mm. that sort of thing.
1: What about the, uh, the full immersion experience? I know you've gone home with your kids several times to visit the family, but have you ever thought about um, sending them to the U S for a year of school or, even you yourself moving back to the US to just get them into the English environment for a, a stretch of time.
0: Yeah, I do m- more more than uh, um, wanting them to experience like American school, I, I want them to learn more about American culture. That would be the prime reason for sending them back for an extended period. I think probably they're getting a better education in Japan than they would at uh, in the States at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do. I I would love to uh, send them back for six months or a year, where they can just be in it for a really extended period. Especially now because we haven't been able to go home for a couple years. So you know, I do want them to to do that at some point. I don't know about moving the whole family back. Is probably a stretch unless there was a very lucrative situation waiting for me over there. But yeah. It's definitely something I want to, even if it's just like sending them back for the summer or something.
2: Is that a possibility then?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, But like we're getting to the point now where like my older son like wants to hang out with his friends and like if I say like you're going to go stay with your grandmother for you know, two months in the summer, he might balk at that at this point. Sounds like a punishment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. It's not even on the table r- right yet. So
1: um, coronavirus. Well, um, that might be our language chunk. Uh, but what if we what if we go back further in time for Casey? Uh, it's going to be the future for me and Mark coming soon. But um, mm-hmm. an interesting thing about uh, you and your kids, Casey, that I just learned not too long ago, actually, is that you went with your wife's family name for your two sons family name. So they have uh, well a Japanese last name. And uh, what was that decision like? Was that... um... Just for practical purposes, or um, and was it easy to do to just you know choose that name, or has it caused any confusion or complications anywhere?
0: Um, I don't even remember our uh, thought process clearly, but it like I know some people are very um, have strong feelings about like maintaining their their last name and the kids having their last name. Uh, for me, I don't care, so it was just like the path of least resistance was give them my wife's last name. Then we don't have to you know ghosts go to like a court and provide documentation or or anything like that and there probably was an element of it that it was just uh like for the kids growing up you know just having a japanese last name might be easier
2: i was curious how this related to like your wife's koseki and stuff are you because you're if you're the same as me and probably justin then then you're just like an add-on to their family Mm -hmm. koseki which is kind of like the family registry yeah would the kids fall under her then being the same last name
0: i think when like when we um built this house and registered as residents of the town we live in i think i started my own koseki oh really and and so and i think we're all on that but i think my wife is still on her parents koseki Uh, as well. So there uh I don't remember having any like huge issues with that. Oh, okay. But I will say the cool thing is you know, um and and this is one thing that I'm like really happy that my kids have is on their so on their Japanese passports they have this their fully Japanese name. But on their American passports, when I registered them as U.S. citizens and got their social security number uh, and their passport, we we put my last name and we gave them my wife's. They both have my wife's last name as their middle name. So they have Hmm. like two completely independent identities.
2: That's something I was considering, too, and not sure if it was even possible but it sounds like it it's is. the norm kind of because I've heard yeah. of a couple other people who've done that as well.
0: So I just, I I mean, part of it is sort of like James Bond style. Like they, ha- <laughs> they have like two legit different identities that they can use. Nice. Um, and I think also, cause you know, technically like when they become adults, they're supposed to choose one nationality, but I, I think it's like a gray area, but there you can sort of just maintain both nationalities. And I feel like it'll be easier if the, if the names are completely separate, mm. that's just speculation on my
1: part. But I've heard a bit about that, um, that if you were ever to, you know, say work for the government or, you know, join the military or something, then they might learn about your secret dual citizenship. But mm-hmm. on paper, um, you know, Japan doesn't allow dual citizenship, but also they can't really... Like one country, I've, I've heard this, somebody will have to verify it, but I've heard that one country can't just ask another country, like, give us a list of your citizens. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that countries typically do back and forth. So then Japan would never know. And the United States would never know, like, uh, they couldn't verify it either way. So yeah, you can just kind of under the radar, just be sure you're showing the right passport to the right immigration official at the right time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you can maintain both. But it's a little bit off the books. Yeah, yeah. I
0: there a... does. I was just going to say, there does seem to be a sort of like "don't ask, don't tell" uh, mm-hmm. attitude going on. Yeah. yeah, I had a I
2: have a friend in Seattle. I think she got married, and in that registration process, the Japanese government said, "Okay, pick one," and she went with U.S. Yeah,
0: there is. There is like on the um, Japanese passport renewal form, there is like a box that asks you know, do you have any other nationalities or or do you hold any other passports or something like that? And uh, I don't know, um, like if you just don't check it, if you're skirting any laws or anything like that.
1: Probably. Yeah. (laughs) I've I've read that it's never been enforced in like, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, again, this is just my memory of you know, hearing this and that through the news, but I've heard that it's never been enforced. Like no one's ever gone to jail for being a dual citizen. Right. And um, if I had to guess, you know, every decision that Japan makes is about uh, increasing population, be it birth rates or allowing more foreign, like specialized workers or whatever. Uh, Dual citizenship is kind of a no brainer to legalize, to then maintain some of your population who would have otherwise chosen a different citizenship because they were forced to choose. Uh, So if you could allow dual, then you might as well. And you've got like, I don't know how many dozens or, you know, a hundred or more examples around the rest of the world of countries who allow it. And it's not a problem. So it seems like, you know, five, 10 years from now, the government might just hop on board and say, Oh yeah, it's fine. Be a dual. Uh, It'll keep our population numbers up by a fraction of a percent. And that's good for us.
0: And it's also like a pretty um, dynamic, um, portion of the the population who's, in a lot of cases, probably bilingual mm-hmm. and and bicultural. So they're, you know, they're an asset to the population, I,
1: I would think. Yeah. So that's uh, my prediction anyway, is that they'll want to hold on to those people. I wanted to go back a little bit. That's all right. Yeah.
2: You've been here 17 years about, right? And mm-hmm. how has your Japanese level been in that time from... When you got here, until you had kids, I guess. Uh, I didn't speak any Japanese
0: when I arrived, and I just started studying, and I've been studying on and off, uh, you know, the whole time. Just in terms of uh, like JLPT level, I, I passed the level two a couple years ago, and I've failed the level one like four times. So, oh man! <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm plateaued right right between the one and the two there. <laughs> Um, but I'm I'm like basically um, in, I I can sort of like hold my own in most situations. There's plenty of stuff that I you know still boggles my mind.
1: Do you remember where you were Japanese wise when your first child was born? Ah, uh, no. Like uh, JLPT, <laughs> you were you hadn't passed the two at that point anyway.
0: No, no, no. Um, and I I don't even what I t- I think I passed the three. So I was probably around like the level three. I remember okay. learning a lot of like new, very um, birth-specific vocabulary around mm-hmm. that time. But I was—I definitely wasn't as comfortable speaking Japanese as I am now. Not that I'm super comfortable now. I don't actually use Japanese that much, but, but you know, what's I, going I no on. longer. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I don't like panic when I have to speak Japanese at this point. Like me, even if it's on the phone. <laughs> yeah oh god
2: no that's the worst i know so uh, then most of the time then when your kids were growing up and i guess even now at this point they're not really translators for you much no
0: they're not uh (laughs) that's funny because i do like i will like if i'm in a situation where there's someone speaking japanese or and uh or i'm trying to convey something in japanese and I'll ask my son like how did what did what did that person just say my older son is like semi useful in that situation but mm. again like a lot of the times if it's something that I don't understand like just the nature of the the conversation is means like my 12 year old son is also not going to understand what's mm-hmm. going on we right. have about the same level of uh knowledge right. when that it comes to sense. Japanese
1: speaking of the kids um and uh, sort of, you know, the, you know, dual citizenship and uh, being bilingual and so on. Uh, that's a big part of being what the Japanese call half or half. Yes, that's yes. Kind of the. The Japanese word for mixed race, they mm-hmm. go right in for the uh, English word in katakana half. Mm-hmm. But uh, this rubs a lot of people the wrong way, and uh, I was wondering about your take on the word half, Casey.
0: Yeah, I I had the sort of like white man's uh, instinct to be offended by it, but mm-hmm. uh, have you watched the the documentary Half? No, I haven't have you seen no. that. Oh, it's really good. Check it out. It's on uh, either like Amazon or Netflix or something. Uh, it's a really insightful
2: documentary about. Is it um, in English or in Japanese? It's,
0: it, uh, it's in both, um, oh, okay. if I recall, because it's it's people who are half Japanese, half something else that have grown up in Japan and sort of identify as. Uh, well, it, it's all about like how they identify themselves, um, but it it was just really interesting to uh, hear their experience and see some of the things that they've grown up, you know, experiencing. I've, and, and, and I've learned that, um, actual people who are half multicultural, whatever, half Japanese, half American that like a lot of them actually sort of embrace the term. They don't have this like loaded, you know, like it's some kind of racist term or something like that. So, I sort of remove myself from the the conversation in terms of whether that term is is uh offensive or not, yeah, yeah. I haven't heard yeah. too
2: many people who use that term, I guess refer to it in a negative way or mm-hmm. those people in a negative way, but I know that there's some cases where bullying occurs and that that comes up
1: yeah
0: i've all i've I'm always like waiting for my kids to come home from school like in tears. Uh, because they've experienced some sort of teasing or bullying based on them not being 100% Japanese. But I I guess uh, it's reassuring like kids aren't as horrible as I sort of imagined they would be. And like all the kids that my... Kids go to school with, have known them, you know, forever. So hmm. ha- the fact that they're not one hundred percent Japanese is no hmm. longer a big
2: deal for them. Are they? Are they the only ones in their class who are considered half or multicultural?
0: I think so. I because you so. guys
2: are out in the Inaka, same as me, where there's yeah. not many many foreigners.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure at their elementary school, they're they're the only two. That's another thing though. There there's two of them. They're Hmm. the brothers, so there's some sort of like moral support there, I guess. Hmm. Um, I haven't really talked to them about their own sense of identity, you know, whether or not they think about the fact that they're half Japanese, half American.
1: It is. It's the kind of thing that anyone. I mean, the uh, the people themselves, like your sons, who are actually from two different cultures, or uh, you know, mixed race, or if you're a foreigner here or something, uh, any of any of us can be primed to take it the wrong way. And um, mm-hmm. there was, uh, my wife has given me a few pamphlets recently. You know, we're sort of getting reinterested in the features of Kanazawa, like in terms mm-hmm. of the public services and the, um, you know, things that there are, that are available to do, uh, just because you've got a kid and your kid will need to make mm-hmm. use of some of these services or visit some of these places. So there are English pamphlets that describe these things. And uh, we've recently been getting a few of those. And one of them was called, it's in English, so it's obviously targeted toward foreigners in Kanazawa. And the name of it was "You too are a citizen of Kanazawa," and <laughs> like that title, it was—it's right on the edge. Because right. I, I, my immediate reaction was like, "Whoa, whoa! Who said I'm not a citizen of Kanazawa?" You know, right. it's like right. kind of half confrontational, but you can also see it coming from a really sweet, supportive place of like, you know, don't let anybody shut you out. You're a citizen as well. So it depends on how you're gonna take it. And uh, I feel like half might be one of those terms. And a lot of the goodwill could also rub you the wrong way or something that rubs you the wrong way, you could just decide Mm. to take it as goodwill. So um, maybe it's more about the attitude of the person experiencing it.
0: Yeah. Uh, In that um, documentary... Yeah, uh, there. Some of them are like lobbying for a a new term. I can't remember what it was, but it was like multicultural or something like that.
2: Uh, yeah. Um, how do you guys balance uh like decision making in the house and like disciplinary actions and those kind of things? Like, I don't know if this is relative to being in Japan or not, but just maybe how does your house handle it?
0: Uh, generally, I mean, we don't ha- need to punish our kids that that often they're both well-behaved for the most part but i think i mean we don't really have any like set rules we just the important thing is just being on the same page with each other when you're doling out you know punishment
1: do you ever run into something that sort of you need to make a decision about what the kid is going to do and then the two of you parents want to go opposite directions and is there like, a, I guess there's no set method for resolving that kind of thing. It's more on a case-by-case basis. But um, do you have any experience with that or any words of wisdom?
0: Um, No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, we, there's nothing, I mean, I guess it's just a sort of um, indicator of my relationship with my wife, but like we're generally on the same page when it comes to just handling things like that. So my advice would be, yeah, just make sure you're in agreement that you're both presenting the same argument to your to your children so the children understand clearly like what the boundaries are you know there are there aren't too many things between my wife and I where we have like philosophical differences Uh, the only one I can think of is like you know my kids have to walk to school every day and it's like two kilometers and there will be mornings where it's like like a typhoon outside and it's like thunder and lightning and wind and rain. And I'll be like, maybe we, we can give the kids a ride today. And she's like, no, they're, they're walking to school. So she's like, and, and I, and actually I can like, I can get behind that. I don't even feel like a huge amount of disagreement with her. I think it's great that they walk to school and they do live very comfortable lives. If the worst thing they have to do is walk to school in the rain, then, you know, they should do it to, have some sense of you know oppression in their lives (laughs) um so but that's the only thing where like she's got a very uh firm belief in that practice and i'm a little bit less uh rigid about it like i'd be willing to to drive them once in a while yeah i don't see many parents i know uh,
2: driving their kids i live like right behind a school and mm-hmm. every morning and afternoon I'll see these kids walking to and from in their shorts, mm-hmm. in whatever weather it is, <laughs> yeah. snow
1: or rain. <laughs> yeah. So there's not much was, sympathy here in general. <laughs> yeah, but I was that's always one blown away by that. Um, just one time years ago I had a student who I taught. Uh, he had been to the U.S. He was raised in the U.S. and he was six years old. Uh, he was a Japanese kid, and then he came back to Japan. So he was fluent in English at a six-year-old's level. And uh, one time on my day off, I was walking across the crosswalk downtown in the busiest part of town, and he crossed opposite by himself on the crosswalk. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, hey, his name was Sadasuke. I was like, Sadasuke, how are you? And he was like, oh, I'm fine. And... Was like, where are you going? He's like, I'm going home. I was like, where's your house? And he just pointed in the direction. I was like, <laughs> I guess this is fine. I'll see you later. But this is like, you know, tall buildings on either side, traffic whizzing around. And there's like a six year old, you know, basically with a briefcase and it's like suit and tie <laughs> and he's just doing his daily commute. And uh, that blew my mind. But um, that's Japan. You know, it's like leave it to beaver era United States where the kids kind of just come and go and take care of their own business.
0: I know that's something that's hard been hard for me to get used to. Like I, I'm a hundred percent supportive of of it. Like it's awesome that they put this level of responsibility on kids to like they'll they'll be like the older kid who's leading the pack to to school, and from a very young age they have this sense of independence and responsibility, which I think is awesome. It's like not like that in America anymore, but it freaks me out big time. Like I just mm-hmm. worry about like cars running them over and you know they they horse around on the sidewalk or next to a busy road and I just like cross my fingers that they'll make it <laughs> like junior high school mm-hmm. without incident and I can maybe breathe a, a sigh of relief.
2: Yeah, going into this whole thing, I I kind of have those fears already mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm going to be a little bit helicopter parenty, but I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'll I, I am
0: definitely in, like when I see other people sort of like um, like when you go to Costco and people like leave their kid in the, in the wagon oh while, they're, while they're while they're like getting, <laughs> getting their hot dog. And there's like a three year old just like standing up on the, the seat towering four feet above a concrete floor. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, I want to like grab the kid and like sit them down or something. I get very uneasy when I see that sort of thing. But like it's just the way they they do it here.
2: I have a kind of similar to that, another thing that kind of drives me crazy, I guess in Costco, but it's pretty much everywhere. You go in and you'll see a parent just holding a newborn in one arm and just shopping with the other, like a Mm -hmm. basket and everything else. And this head just like flopping around. I'm like, you don't have a stroller? You can't get a stroller? They have them at the front of the store. Yeah, (laughs) you'll you'll be there soon enough, Mark. I guess so. I guess it's one of those things. I'm not there yet.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, what about uh, a little bit of a a gear shift here? But um, I know that I personally right now feel busy all of the time and I Mm -hmm. have zero kids. And here's Casey with his two kids. And Casey and I have kind of similar lives, like similar work and and that sort of thing. So um, what do you do in terms of uh, like cordoning off your personal time or is your personal time just a thing of the past? like how do you um find chances to relax like you want to
0: yeah um it's hard especially when the kids are are really young and you need to sort of monitor them constantly and they they rely on you for everything you, basically you don't you don't have much personal time uh during that stage of of life now my kids are a bit older and like they they sleep later they can feed themselves and uh wipe their own butts and stuff which is cool and like they they wake up before my wife and i now so it's sort of much easier these days and and it's easier to get out and do things myself so but yeah i mean the first like five six years is i it's like somebody took one of those men in black like mind erasers to my brain i don't have a lot of recollection of <laughs> Like what what, what my life was like before that, nor like what happened during those those interceding years. It's just kind of a blur.
1: I do remember you were a big time, like uh, wake up at whatever time, 4.35 in the morning or something. And then that was when no one was up and about yet. Mm. And that was prime Casey time. If that I can is... refresh your memory of your, your life from a few years ago.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, that's still kind of what I do except uh-huh. now every everybody's awake at that time mm. because they have to get, they leave the house at like 7 a.m. to, to walk to school. So, oh, yeah. but yeah. Uh, and if you're like a night owl, you can probably snag some time then, but I, I don't like to stay up very late. So yeah, yeah. I've basically sacrificed my perfect life for uh, children, Justin. <laughs> <and Mark. laughs>
1: okay. Oh, that explains it. All right. Good. Well, um, that is our list of questions. Mark, do you have anything you want to add on here? Any, anything, any other avenue you want to go down no that covered pretty much everything that i was
2: curious about at this point yeah, i'm sure we'll have on. you on in the future after we have kids and you can help us more
1: yeah
0: i'd love to come back anytime bestow my wisdom yeah
1: i already feel like i know everything after our... yeah, you've you've
0: been a uh you've been my co-pilot justin in fatherhood
1: <laughs> yeah justin is my co-pilot <sighs> yes that needs to be a bumper sticker yeah <laughs> yeah uh cool well thanks a lot casey uh we appreciate all the insights and yeah uh, if, yeah we will certainly have you back
2: if you want to take some time and uh let people know where they can reach you and uh what you have going on right now this is your time
0: all right uh i'm like pretty active on twitter um i'm at t on twitter and uh i put lots of uh nice pictures and uh play some some cover tunes, put some videos up of that, and then uh, I've got my podcast the Bean pod, which is available on like Apple and some other other uh, uh services and then uh, yes with my our friend Joe, I also make the Ishikawa
1: summit to see podcast so please check all of those things out sweet and uh oh, if you want to deep dive on Casey you can go to the um uh what was the what was the blog called that you that you did when you oh, built your house. Uh,
0: GaijinHouse.wordpress.com.
1: Oh, the long dead blog. But that's pretty interesting about uh, home building in Japan, especially from the foreigner's perspective, where we kind of know nothing about the system here. But that's a yeah, still a good very, read.
0: Very extensive.
1: Well, thanks a lot. And uh, right, thanks, hey, guys. Take it easy. We'll see you later. <phone rings> and we're back. Yeah, let's um, carry on with the spirit of the interview and go right into our segment called My Question for You Is. It's let's see more, it. more question answer time. Uh, I've got a question this week for Mark. The question is, as an expectant father, uh, where are you on the scale of excitement to anxiety? Is one of those two feelings overriding the other one? Are they out there in equal measure or... Uh, what do you say? Oh man, I would say they're both out there in equal measure,
2: equally Mm -hmm. high. I think I'm pretty excited overall, but in general, I have kind of high anxiety issues. And so this kind of peaks that anxiety as we get, especially as we get closer and I start worrying like, how am I going to keep this thing alive? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's kind of like the biggest thought in my head at the moment Mm -hmm. but just in general like how am i going to afford this how how am i going to manage life around this thing and like how are we going to manage english and and these thoughts so so anxiety and excitement are equally up there how about you
1: um i in general i don't go too far in either direction like i'm more even keeled like uh you know emotion wise i don't get too excited about things i don't get too anxious about things either and so i I would say that I have both of these, but um, neither of them are kind of, you know, overriding or overpowering. um, And uh, maybe they're about, I don't know. I don't know if I've had any real anxiety. I mean, it's all things that need to be solved, but I just kind of look at it objectively, Mm. like the situations will arise and then I will solve them, you know, and then Mm. like, it kind of reminds me of like your wedding day. You know, there's a lot of planning to do and a lot of decisions to be made. But then eventually the day does come and then it just goes into the past. You know, like, can you imagine the, the worst would be like you're planning for a wedding that never happens because there are unlimited decisions to make and you just need it to actually happen to stop your decision making process. And so yeah, the baby will sense. be born. Eventually the baby will be, uh, you know, uh, out pragmatic. of the crib. Yeah. And like Into, you know, out of the crib, into its own bed. It'll be potty trained. It'll be in school. All of these things will happen the decisions will have to be made and then um, I'll get through them all as they come up. So that keeps me from being too anxious about it. Just knowing that it'll, it'll all be over with like a, you know, a decision will will occur. And I guess it's, uh, so that would put me more on the side of excitement then. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't have too much anxiety about it. And the excitement is also for me felt in ways of like sort of accumulating stuff. We got a stroller just yesterday So that's another like, yeah, oh, it's another little real thing that we have that's making this whole thing, you know, seem more real to us and uh, another cause for a little bit of excitement. Yeah, I think
2: um, I'm going to be getting one here pretty soon. It seems it seems early to buy one, but mm -hmm. holidays and store sales as they are, it's uh, too good of an opportunity not to buy one.
1: Yeah. Yeah yeah so, got to jump on it.
2: And I got one I think I'm gonna get one of those that's not to go too off too much off topic, but I think this is pretty interesting because you don't see this a lot in Japan, but it's a stroller that comes with a car seat and a car seat base for the car. So you can mm-hmm. just have this separate car seat that pops out of the car, goes straight into the stroller and you never have to like pick the baby up out of it, wake them up, put them in, and mm-hmm. kind of deal with that. It's kind of a, a much easier system. And I'm, I'm yeah. always surprised. I don't see this more in Japan.
1: Yeah. It's, um, especially for a country that's really big on gadgetry. It seems like a nice little combination of features into a new gadgety kind of a thing. But, um, I don't know if I've seen, if I've seen it either. Uh, we scoured Amazon, um, mm. you know, when we were making the baby registry and, uh, I don't think I saw anything like that when I was looking through the general car seat selection.
2: No, there is not a single one. I had to, you can search out the product and then you can find the products that work together. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a a brand called Joey and they sell a car seat with a base and then you can buy their separate stroller that kind of hooks up with it. And Mm -hmm. that's the only one I've seen here.
1: This reminds me, um, we should also mention Amazon a bit more and go into it. I think we have to issue our first official J-Pops retraction, and uh, that is us singing the praises of Amazon as the sort of one-stop shop for all your baby registry needs across international boundaries, and it's all seamless and easy. Uh, My wife and I finally got our Amazon together, finalized it, sent off the link, and then no one in the United States could successfully purchase anything from our like uh, amazon.co.jp baby registry. They could see it through the link. They could select items. And then when they got to the final stage of trying to pay for them, it said uh, username not found and the whole situation got all scrambled. So um, the solution that we're workshopping right now is it seems like for your purchasers outside of Japan, if you made a, a Amazon Japan baby registry, uh, those purchasers outside of this country would have to make uh, an Amazon.co.jp account, um, which is a little bit of legwork. It's not too difficult, but um, you know they will have to create an account on this like mirrored foreign version of Amazon. Yeah, and they can it's... do it in English. It's they can put in, as you said, you told me earlier, they can put in their U.S. phone number, so there shouldn't be any big issues there. Yeah, but they will. You have
2: can to... use the same um, information you use. I think it's just the way they have to set up their business operating in different countries. They Mm -hmm. have to be separate entities. So whatever you use in U.S. doesn't automatically carry over to Japan or U.K. or Australia or any of those. They're all separate
1: stores. Yeah. So Amazon is probably still the only way and the best way to get your baby registry together. But if you've made it on the co.jp, you'll have to have everyone have an account on co.jp. So they'll have to do that extra legwork. So we'll just see who wants it most.
2: Yeah. And I, I want to make a, a clear point. If you're living in Japan making a registry, you you should you should use the co.jp and not the com. Mm-hmm. If you make one on the com and expect people to send it over here, that's going to be really expensive shipping for them. So yeah. have them go through the slight inconvenience of registering for the co.jp. Just make sure you tell them beforehand.
1: Good call. Alright, so we've clarified. I feel better about that. Good. And
2: you've got some Japanese for us today, don't you?
1: Yes, sir. It is Japanese of the day. Um, this is a pretty simple word, but it's kind of funny to me. Um, the uh, The word for baby in Japanese is akachan. This is like the most commonly used word for baby. Mark, you must have come across akachan in your oh, yeah. study of Japan and Japanese. Yeah uh and yeah can you tell us aka what's the meaning of aka uh from my basic understanding it's red yeah it is purely (laughs) and simply the color red and then chan the chan at the end it's uh what you would add to a name to make it sound a little cute so you know your friends would call you mark but if there were a little kid named mark you might call him mark chan or your wife might call you Mark Chan as a cutesy little nickname. She so... has never called me that. <laughs> oh, well, you're not there yet. Someday. <laughs> Someday you'll get that familiarity. She does say Mark Son sometimes. Oh, Mark Sun. Well, you're yeah. professional. I'm older. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, so, Akka means red. Chan means like a cutesy little ending to a name. So, it's like little Red or little Reddy or something. What's up, little Red? What's up, Lil Red? <laughs> and it's purely and simply because babies look red like when they come out they're they're red and i don't know if that's like factually accurate for all babies but it's kind of the image of newborn baby looks red so they called it like little red and then that became the word for baby But Hmm. it's not only akachan. Akachan is the most commonly used word for baby, I would say. But there are variations on it. In the old, old, old days, like even maybe before, like our grandparents' generation uh, were our grandparents' Japanese, they might have said akagō. And that go is uh, similar to ko, which is, um, you know, just means child. So even in the Mm. old days, uh, you know, over 100 years ago, it was still like red child is what they called a baby, essentially, akagol. And there's another one, a third one, that's um, uh, also based around akka, and it's akambo. Akambo is another word for baby. It's got akka right in there, so red is still there. Bol is a word that is used for monks, like um, obosan, and uh, obosan is mm-hmm. yeah, when you would go to a, I don't know if it's a temple or a shrine or maybe both, but the obosan would be a monk that uh, works there. Interesting. I've never heard that term before. Yeah, I am not very familiar with it, but my wife told me that she thinks that the Akka is red, and then the monk, the bowl part of Akambo, is because monks are typically bald, like shaved heads. And so (laughs) you've got like, yeah, red baldy, (laughs) this little baby with no hair. He looks like a little monk, and he's red. So they would call him Akambo. And uh, sometimes bowl- bo can be added as another little cutesy ending to somebody's name so those are your I've options. i've never heard bo but i believe you yeah i think if someone were named like um imagine you've got someone named akihito then they might call him like akibo and just take the first part of his name and put Bow at the end of the name it's sometimes used for boys mm-hmm. uh it's a little bit in the family of like chan and coon right uh, bowl goes on that list it's basically like a cutesy version of San, like oh, gotcha. mark San. Gotcha. so somebody might call you mark Bull or ma Bull or something like that i don't know
2: when we were renovating our house the the main contractor like the owner of the company would call me ma coon he wouldn't even say <laughs> oh, mark yeah. and coon it would just be yeah. ma Kun. and my wife tried to correct him but he would just <laughs> keep going he just
1: didn't care Yeah, (laughs) I get a lot, um, like just speaking of names and like how, you know, you might hear a foreign name and then try to slot it into however your country does names. I Mm. think that's a natural thing to do. But um, people are familiar with the word hill. Uh, My last name is Whitting Hill. And so I very frequently get Whitting and Hill as two separate words, both capitalized. So they think that I've got like, you know, maybe that's my whole name is first name Whitting, last name Hill. Or maybe they think Justin, Whitting, Hill are three names, but I receive a lot of emails that say like Mr. and then two names at the end, Whitting and Hill separated. Uh, So yeah, it's hard, which Hill is also in a lot of building names. Like um, we used to live in a building called Green Hills oh, yeah. Building. And so like Hill, like as this kind of like nice image of like the rolling countryside, and it shows up from time to time in a business name or building name. So I think that throws people as well. They're seeing the hill and thinking, well, that must be a word. I wonder
2: if this has to do with, because they're reading it in Katakana first and then trying to type for you in English. And since there's no spaces in Katakana, They would just naturally assume, like,
1: oh, why would somebody
2: be Whitting Hill? It would be Whitting
1: Hill. Yeah, which they can. Sometimes they put that dot in between two katakana words, but, you know, sometimes it is what we would have as two or three words, then get fused into one katakana word, so... A lot of confusion to me. Katakana is like if you take a re- like a high definition recording of uh, some song and then you play it through your cell phone speaker and record that, you can never get that resultant <laughs> recording back to its original high definition version. You know, it's the best description of katakana. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> katakana is like uh, like putting um, I don't know an eight K video. The worst video. game of telephone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like you've got a high-definition movie, and you've run it through a like a Super Nintendo. And then you see the Super Nintendo version. It's a bit blockier. Some sounds have been fused and shortened and so on. If this is possible, I want to see this. Yeah, now <laughs> that you say this. I'm going to fire up my Famicom, see what I can do. I kind of want to watch The Matrix like this. Oh, my God. Perfect. <laughs> um, but I should say that in reverse, there are things, of course, in English that we simply cannot differentiate that come from the Japanese like um, that little ooh sound that sometimes gets uh, combined with an o sound that essentially lengthens the o. so back to our vocab of the day a combo is actually a combo and it's got that ooh so for the Japanese they would lengthen it to bowl instead of bolt and that sort of lengthening is not something we recognize in English that much so it's very hard to differentiate between one and the other
2: yeah that's
1: true. Uh, so, yeah, it works both ways. Sometimes the English can't handle or process the Japanese. Uh, sometimes the Japanese can't handle or process the English. It's just like uh, they're kind of askew.
2: Well, I think that wraps us up for the day. I think we're about That'll out of time do it. here. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter at jpopspodcast or by email at info
1: at and we'd like to thank Casey for joining us and sharing his insight with us um, if you'd like to hear more from him you can find him podcasting in two places the bean pod and Ishikawa Summit 2C uh, you can also find him on Twitter at tbeanpod thank you again and have a good one see you next time